Thank you, Jennifer. Isn't she great? She also designs everything. So Jennifer is awesome. All right, good morning, everybody. Good to have you. If it's your first time, welcome to Granite Creek. It is an honor to have you guys. Um, all right, so we, are, we started a new series last week on, on the Ides of March, which is based off of uh, uh, Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. I know, it's kind of weird. But see, um, next week is March 15th, which is the Ides of March. So I'm taking advantage of a Roman holiday for some reason. Just because I'm a history nerd. That's, just, that's the only reason. It's just a, I'm a history nerd. And, and in Julius Caesar, uh, there are four major players. There's, of course, Julius Caesar, who is, uh, who is, he is transitioning into becoming the emperor of the whole republic. So the republic, the Roman republic is transforming in from a, from a republic into an empire, right? You guys all seen Star Wars. It's the same thing. So, um, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Just trying to put it into perspective. And so the fear that everybody has is that Julius Caesar is going to become a king, a despot, an evil ruler of some sort. And so they're taking away their, their democracy. The republic is, is disintegrating. And so that's, that's, that's in short, that's, that's the, the short story. But So he's one of the major players, of course. Uh, there is his close friend, Brutus, who is also a noble Roman of incredible virtue, there is Mark Anthony, who is Julius Caesar's right-hand man. So Julius Caesar is the brain, and Mark Anthony is the brawn, right? He's the one that, that carries out Caesar's orders, and he's, you know, he's really good-looking, and you know, he can beat people up, but he doesn't have a whole lot going on upstairs. So that's, that's Mark Anthony, very passionate guy. And then the bad guy, the villain of this whole thing, is Cassius, who is... Um, you know, he's good-looking and slender and smart and fast-talking and manipulating, but his intentions are completely evil. So those are the four major characters that we'll be looking at. Next week on the Ides of March, uh, we will be doing a little bit of play. We're, doing a, we're going to do a play. Angela Ward's put together uh, the, the scene in, in, in the Senate where, where Julius Caesar gets stabbed in the back. Isn't that awesome? So we get to see actually somebody get stabbed in the back at church. I have never seen that in my entire life. All right, everybody has been betrayed. Everybody has been stabbed in the back. And next week, we're going to look about how to actually survive betrayal, how to survive getting stabbed in the back. But today, it is, today's topic is how to navigate through conspiracy and intrigue and drama. So we're going to be looking at uh, the community aspect of, 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 of survival. And see, Julius Caesar... He, is, he represents something symbolically to us. He is, he is the Roman of all Romans. He is noble. He's a man of Roman virtue. Roman virtue is the, it was the highest goal that, it, that, that a Roman could have. It's a little bit different than, than what you might think. But Roman virtue is it, man. And, and Julius Caesar epitomized everything. And he was successful. Like if he was, if he was in our society, he would be the ultimate person of human secularism. And he was being honored. And again, the, the temptation was to make, him, to make him the king. He was a Roman. His community, Roman society, dictated his identity. Did you know, you know how important your community is? The community that you choose to be involved in, to plug into, to identify with, it actually shapes your identity. It makes you who you are. I am first and foremost a Christian. And I'm an American second. We get that mixed up quite a bit. And the Republicans think that they're the same thing. That Christians and Republicans, I'll make fun of Democrats later. But... Um, <laughs> But I am first and foremost a Christian, and that shapes my identity over, over becoming an American. I mean, that might be fighting words for some, but it's the truth. My, my patriotism takes second seat, sits in the back of my faith. My faith comes first, and then my patriotism. And so it is extremely important to understand and to realize that who we choose to hang out with, who we choose to engage with, 
shapes our identity just like it did for Julius Caesar. Rome made him an emperor, and Rome killed him. That's, oh, that's complicated, but that's the, that's the, that's the gist of it. So uh, I, had, I had two conversations with people outside of church life this week. So I was, I, I was actually kind of, I was in witness mode this week. So I was in evangelism mode. I hate to use the word evangelism. But I was sharing my faith with people on the street, just kind of who I ran into. Somebody in the marketplace and somebody, uh, you know, at a restaurant. And um, for both connections, and here's, I mean, here's the irony of it. I didn't even, um, they, both of them asked me faith questions. Isn't that interesting? How does that happen? They don't know who I am. They don't know what I believe. But both brought up God in a conversation. So I just, I just kind of let the conversation go, you know? Just, okay, let's ask some open-ended question, questions. Both young men said this, almost verbatim, said, um, I, I believe in God. He's done so much in my life. He's... Um, I mean, I connect with God every night and I pray and he answers my prayers and I, and I can see the hand of God come into my life where he has saved me and I wouldn't be where I am today if God hadn't intervened in this situation. But I don't go to church. I'm, I'm extremely spiritual, but I'm not religious is, is, is usually how it gets framed. Both guys said this. God's an important part of my life, but I choose not to be a part of church. Both of them said this, I, I try my best to be a good person and I help other people out. And that makes God happy. So I got some good God points here. Both of them said that. Interesting, huh? Yes, I, I do believe that God is working in, in some deep and powerful ways in, in, in their lives. But their identity as being a Christ follower is skewed. It's not right. It's, uh, it's been filtered through a broken filter because they're not a part of a community. So, Bob, why don't you go to church? Well, it's because it's full of hypocrites. Come on in. There's room for one more. Oh, I got hurt in church once. Have you ever been hurt outside of church? You get, did you get hurt at work? Did you, did you quit working? <laughs> you ever been hurt in family? Did you, did you quit going to Thanksgiving dinner? See, we, they'll use it as an excuse, right? You know, they'll, they'll come up with excuses as to why they don't want to go to church. So, I mean, we have to keep the, put that into consideration. But... Um, I am going to push a little bit because I do think we need to listen to, you know, what they're saying because we're asking the same questions. I ask the same questions. My pastor friends ask the same questions. And here's the question. There, there has got to be a better way to do church. This is the question. And uh, our mission, if you're new or... I don't know, maybe you, you blanked out on that Sunday, but our mission for Granite Creek is relationship and not religion. So I wanna, I wanna have a relationship with God. I wanna be able to connect with him on a spiritual level, and I wanna be able to have a relationship with people. I don't wanna have a religion, because religion is uh, it's controlling, it's mean, it's manipulative, it's a system, it, it's based on karma, it's based on doing good things to make God like you. And that's, that's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about grace, so there's got to be a, a better way to do community. And as we looked at last week, um, and I hit on this vaguely, but so we're going to flesh it out a little bit more today, is that um, a community of wisdom will grow maturity in individuals and in the, in the group at large. And so what does a community of wisdom look, look like? See, one of the things that undid Caesar was that, if you are here last week, is that he listened to what was being broadcast in the air. And what was being broadcasted in the air was, beware the Ides of March. And so he listened to it. And then, he, uh, and then it was said again, 
the, the, the prophet or the soothsayer, he broadcasted that message again. Beware of the Ides of March. And Caesar entertained the thought. He said, what is that? What, what is being said? Brutus says, oh, it's a soothsayer. Beware of the Ides of March. And then not only after he entertains the thought, he actually goes into relationship with the prophetic word. This, this Well, prophetic is good. We'll call it an omen. So he went into relationship with this omen. So he brought this soothsayer face to face. And he said, what did you say? And he said, beware the Ides of March. And so as an individual, if you, get, if you are listening to the air, because the devil is, he's the principality of the air. And he is, the, the Bible describes him as a roaring lion. Not a, not a stalking lion that hunts you in the night and, doesn't, and it sneaks up on you and kills you. But this lion roars. And so if you get eaten, it's your fault. It's because you've heeded the call that was in the air. We are, we're, it's like a moth drawn, being drawn to the flame. So in a, in a community, uh, the community can say, all right, you're, you're listening to a roar right now. The community can say, um, you're on the wrong track. You need to readjust. You need to, you need to center it up back on the Lord. This is not a helpful word for you. And so how do we actually build a community of wisdom? And that's what we're going to look at today. So let's get your outline out. We're going to look at several points. Uh, your first fill-in on there, it's the same fill-in that was on there last week, is uh, the self-fulfilling prophecy is our biggest trap. So if you hear the word in the air and if you identify with it, if you entertain the thought, if you go into a relationship with it, you will self-fulfill a prophecy. And Job said it best. What I have feared the most has come upon me. And so if we identify with the fear, it will happen eventually. All right, so that's your first thing there. healthy community. How do we develop a healthy, wise community? Number one thing that we got to do is we have to avoid drama. Avoid drama, number one. Uh, so how do, you, how do you avoid drama? Politics. How many people are dealing with politics at work? Drama at work. Drama at home. It's no fun, is it? It's extremely frustrating to be dealing with drama. So how do we do it? How do we navigate through uh, the the conspiracies and the intrigue. Number one, you have to guard your heart from manipulating people. Guard your heart from manipulating people. Now, here's the thing. Um, you are the only person in the universe that is responsible for your own heart. And you must guard it at all cost. The heart is the most important part about you because the heart is your spirit and it is your spirit that is that is in intimate connection with the holy spirit and out of that everything flows proverbs 4:23 says above all else guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it subpoint a on how to avoid drama, is that you need to uh, beware of the power of suggestion. Okay, do you remember who the bad guy is in uh, Julius Caesar? What's the bad guy's name? Cassius. And, and Cassius, is, um, Cassius is the manipulator. He is the conniver. He's the one that uh, is going to find fault. And this is what Cassius does. And maybe you know people like this. Um... They, they, they'll grab you one-on-one. -on -one. They'll, they'll pull you aside. This is the first thing that Cassiuses do. They'll compliment you. They'll, they'll tell you how great you are, how amazing you are, how well you look. You're dressed incredibly well, aren't you? And so they're going to be, so the Cassiuses of this world are going to flatter you. And then after they get you feeling good about yourself, they do one little thing. One little tiny gripe. All they need is one. 
oh, Joshua, you look so amazing today in your gray suit and your brown shoes. Don't you think the carpet in the church is atrocious? Why, yes, I do. That's all it takes. All it takes is for you to say yes to one little tiny thing. No matter how trivial or, or simplistic it is, it's like a car salesman. They want to get you to say yes three times, right? Hey, you're here shopping for a car today? Why, yes, I am. Is your favorite color red? They just looked at your shoes. They know that you're wearing red shoes. It is. You see, you, you're beginning to fall down this trap of being manipulated by somebody. And if they can get you saying yes, now don't you, and if they can get you to complain about something, they've got you. And then so they've set the bait. They set the hook. And so the next big major complaint will come in. And this is what Cassius does. What do you think Caesar's up to, Brutus? Do you feel uncomfortable with the amount of power that he is getting right now? Brutus says, why, yes, I do. I fear that he will become king. Ah, you see? Do you see how the intrigue and the drama starts? Starts with one little tiny gripe that blossoms into a big, giant, evil mess. All right. Brutus says, into what dangers would you lead me, Cassius, that I might search into myself for what is not there? So all you know, the Brutus takes the hook and he stabs his best friend in the back. He's extremely wise. He's actually on to what Cassius is up to. He still bites and he still justifies it. But he knows what Cassius is doing. He says... What dangers are you leading me into for me to look inside of myself for the answer? Do you know that the world does this to us? Look, the Cassiuses of this world will say, now deep down inside, you know this to be true, right? Yes, you're right. But see, the world does this too. Follow your heart's desires and everything will be okay. Just do what your heart says and you're going to find the right answer. This is like the, the, the number one lie our society tells us. Follow your heart's desire and all your dreams will come true. Huh, it was true for Julius Caesar, right? He followed his heart's desire and he conquered Europe. It was true for Adolf Hitler. Hitler followed his heart's desires. It was true for Charlie Manson. He followed his heart's desire. Look, what does the Bible say about our heart's desire? He says that our hearts are desperately wicked. So if a Cassius or if the devil or if yourself says, all you have to do is find yourself, look deep down inside, do some, do some deep introspective work, and you're going to discover truth. Look, the only truth that you're going to discover when you delve deep down inside of your heart is that you are desperately wicked because that is the truth. That is what the Bible says. And Brutus was wise enough to know this. So this idea of, of, of relativism and, you know, I'm just going to follow my heart and, and everybody's path is, is, is an okay path. Well, that's, that is what dangers lie ahead. Matthew 15, 18 says, But the things that come out of a person's mouth, they come from the heart, and these defile him. Okay, number B, or letter B. Don't give in to emotionally hurting people or overly ambitious people. All right, so uh, look, everybody's, everybody's messed up. Everybody's broken. Everybody's hurt. Everybody has emotional issues. But people that are, if you're going through the marriage class, you, you, can, you can identify with this more because we've really fleshed this out. But people that are unempowered, they, they lack empowerment in their life because uh, of what happened in their childhood. They're victims. And the only way that a victim can get power in their life 
is to manipulate other people. So victims will, will try to get people to feel sorry for them. That's their MO. Don't give people like that authority in your life. Do, do victims hear from God? Absolutely. Everybody in this room hears from God. But an emotionally broken person, a victim, is going to take God's word and they're going to filter it through their pain and it's going to come out skewed. And it's going to come out a little weird. So you can't receive a word from somebody that, is, from somebody that doesn't have healthy personal relationships. If somebody does not have a healthy, healthy personal relationships inside of a community, uh, I don't care how in tune they are to God, the word that God gives them is going to get filtered through their, their stuff, and it's going to come out weird. And you can't trust it. Likewise, the other person, that, that, the other manipulator, uh, is, is the same type of situation where somebody is hurt, somebody that is broken, it, it happened in childhood. They were unempowered people, and there was this point in their life where, okay, I'm, I choose not to be a victim, so I'm going to choose to be in control. And the controller is the other one, right? Marriage class, you know this. So you have to beware of the controller. You can't give them any authority in your life either, especially when it comes from words of God. Because a, a controller will, will manipulate you for their, for their end. You are a means to an end for a controller. So you have to beware. Don't give controllers and don't give victims authority in your life. Be in relationship with them. They're going to say stuff. They're going to do stuff. But you have to weigh it. You have to make sure that it is true. Brutus says, Let me have men about me that are fat, sleek-headed men, and such as sleep at nights. Jan Cassius has a lean and hungry look. He thinks too much. Such men are dangerous. That's the truth. See, okay. Now I just said that, you know, the heart of men and the heart of women, it's desperately wicked, right? Introspection is bad. You go, you know, you look deep down inside yourself for the answers. You're not going to find God. But self-reflection is good. Like, you do need to know thyself. You need to know what makes you tick. You need to know if you are a controller or a victim or a vacillator or a pleaser or all these different things that we're learning about on Thursday nights. You need to know these things about yourself. It's important that we do. You need to know what motivates you. So you need, to, you need to know thyself, right? You need to listen to thyself. Okay, so here we go. So maybe you think that you know yourself. Have you listened to yourself this week? So just take a moment. Think about the words that came out of your mouth this week. What did you say? Well, don't repeat that out loud. But... <laughs> What did you say about yourself? What did you declare? And you might be thinking, oh, I didn't say anything really bad. Really? All right, here we go. I am tired. I am sick. My jacked up family. My screwed up kids. My oppressive work environment. Right? You know what this is? These are broadcasted roars from the devil. It tells us about our heart. Now, I, you know, Josh was tired this week. Josh hiked the loop twice in one day. Josh was tired. And so I actually caught myself saying, oh, man, I'm so tired, which is a true statement. But you know what I did when I did that? I, I identified myself. That became my identity. Josh is tired. See, the am statements are very, they're, they're extremely powerful. 
I am tired. It shapes my identity. I am sick. You Maybe you do have a cold. But if you go and you say stuff like that, I am sick, and if you identify with the sickness, that becomes your identity, you've listened to a roar that's in the air. You've entertained the thought, and you've gone into relationship with it. What's the better way to say it? You know what? The Germans have got it right. I, I failed German twice, but I do, I do know some words, right? Okay, I am hungry. That's what Americans say. I'm hungry. That's our identity. I'm hungry, and... And therefore, you get overweight. You know how the Germans communicate? Ich habe Hunger. I have hunger. Not I am hunger, hungry. I have hunger. There's a difference. I thought it was the most ridiculous way of communicating in the world, but for now, it may make sense. Okay, you ready for the next level? Does that make sense? So if I, if I declare I am tired, guess what? Uh, even after I get rested, even after I get my eight hours of sleep and I eat a healthy meal, I'm going to wake up with that declared over me that I'm a tired person. I'm going to go into my next day being tired and defeated. And I will have no energy because I've spoken that truth. I said, I am. What's the word of God say? The word of God says, I am. (laughs) I am a child of God. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. Those are the right declarations to make. I know that's tricky. Okay, let's take it to the next level. This will make sense. Have you ever said this? My cancer. My diabetes. My heart condition. Look, once we say it is mine, it becomes your identity. See, is cancer really yours? No. Cancer is a foreign invader in your body. It does not belong there. For, for us to say, oh, it's mine, it's, it's drawing affection to it. It's drawing, it's a part of my identity. Now, see, the better way to, to talk about it is the cancer that is in my body Yes, it might kill you, but it is not who you are. The cancer that I am super ticked off at, God's going to heal me someday. But once we see, we've got to break it away from it being my issue, my identity. That makes sense. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? So how did you speak about yourself this week? So if you really want to know what the condition of your heart is, listen to what's coming out of your mouth. All right, next point. Avoid gossip at all costs. In order for us to have a community of wisdom, we have to avoid gossip at all costs. This is extremely difficult because we're a gossip-driven society. We've got magazines about the stuff. We've got shows about the stuff. And we love it. We eat it up. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's like we can't get enough of this, of this gossip stuff. We want to know who's sleeping with who and who dissed, dissed who. And it's just crazy, but it's a part of our culture. We can't, let it, we can't let it infect our hearts. Not in church, not in family, not at work. Because gossip kills. The Bible says that gossip is the sin of witchcraft. Because gossip controls. You know, the controllers that we talked about and the victims that we talked about, you know how they control? They use gossip to control. They use gossip to put power over people. All right. 1 John chapter 4, verse 6, 1 through 6. This is, well, I'll tell you that. This is the message paraphrase. It's so good, though. My dear friends, don't believe everything that you hear. Right? That's number one point. Avoid gossip all cost. The next point, A, don't believe everything that you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. I shall say that again. Not everybody that talks about God comes from God. Just because Uncle Bob can speak Christian legalese and he can quote scripture to you doesn't mean that it's coming from God. 
Just because your neighbor has got this self-righteous attitude doesn't mean that he hears from God. What's the scripture say? You have to weigh everything that you hear. Here we go. You guys are probably going to leave after I read this. There are a lot of lying preachers loose in this world. (laughs) Right? Here's how you test the genuine spirit of God. Everyone who confesses openly his faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came as an actual flesh and blood person, comes from God and belongs to God. And everyone who refuses to confess faith in Jesus has nothing in common with God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard of was coming. Well, here it is. Sooner than we thought. Everyone who refuses to confess faith in Jesus has nothing in common with God. Isn't that an interesting statement? Like, we're all okay with God. Like, we got, in, in God, we trust printed on our money, and governments, for the most part, are okay with God. They're not okay with Jesus. Like, they like the big guy upstairs. They just don't like his son. So how do you know who you can trust? Well, can they... Can they proclaim the name of Jesus in public? These two young men that I was talking to this week, they couldn't do it. They couldn't verbalize the stuff. They could talk my ear off about God. You start talking about Jesus and people start squirming in their seats a little bit. Why is that? Why is that? I guess he's so offensive. My father got accused this week of dragging the cross into everything that he does. And, 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 I know. It's like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was like it was a bad thing. Oh, that Larry Kapchinsky, he drags the cross into everything that he does. <laughs> Interesting, huh? B, don't entertain a soap opera mentality. Okay, so... Okay, we like our soap operas. We like our dramas. We like, uh, we like intrigue. Our telenovas or whatever. We love this stuff, right? Where does this come from? Some people thrive on conflict. They, they love it. They love to have some drama in their life because they're bored. And so... They'll, they'll stir up the pot. They'll make things, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll poke their sister in the back seat just to, you know, just to have some conflict going on, right? There's 18 years between me and my sister, and in the back seat, we were fighting in the back seat. I know, I'm a grown man, and I'm poking my sister in the back seat, making her mad, right? Pushing her buttons. Some people thrive on conflict, but it is not healthy. It's not a healthy attitude to, to want to fight just for fighting's sake. I once interviewed somebody years ago for a position here, and he actually said, yeah, I actually thrive on conflict. I'm like, next? Why would I introduce that into, into a church setting? Why, why is that a good thing? Well, what's the Bible say about it? Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict, right? A perverse person stirs up conflict. And a gossip separates close friends. So uh, when the enemy of God broadcasts his message into the air. When he begins to roar in the air, he begins to sow seeds and sow omens. He wants people to identify with it, and he wants people to uh, get hooked by something negative, starting with the color of the carpet to, you know, what so-and-so did on this day, and so-and-so doesn't like so-and-so. So-and-so had a fight and whatever. 
its purpose. The devil's purpose is to separate friends, to separate unity. It breaks my heart whenever I lose a friend. It is like one of the worst feelings in the world, but it happens. Why? Because somebody has listened to a roar that was in the air. It's a, we've heard the voice, we entertain the thought, and then we went into relationship with it. It's terrifying. Oh, what dangers we get led into. Proverbs 18.8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into the innermost parts. All right. So the heart, your spirit, the seed of who you are, it is deeper than your, than, your, than your flesh and what you look like. It's deeper than your emotions and your, your, your drive and your character. Your heart is your spirit. And what the Bible is saying, the reason why gossip is the sin of witchcraft, why it's so destructive, because it goes down into your heart. It tastes so good. We, 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 like we have to eat it. But it goes down into your heart and it infects you. It will poison your innermost being, your innermost person. And if it does, and if you get that hardness of heart, you're done for. C, don't rejoice in the failures of others. This is important. It's important in church life. It's important in your work environment. It's important in in your academic life, family life. You don't rejoice when somebody fails. This is difficult because this is, how we, this is how we work. Like, you know, if you're competing for a job, you want the other guy to mess up so you can get the job, right? If you're, if you're, if you're competing in a sport, if you're going for a certain position, deep down inside, you know you want the guy to, to blow out his knee so you'll get the position, It's tough, isn't it? If you want to be at the top of the class, you, you, you hope that, that so-and-so, they, they, they mess up and you know, they, they blow their grade. Deep down inside, you want them to fail. Obadiah 1.12 says, You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast uh, so much in the day of their trouble. So a healthy community, a community of wisdom is going to honor one another. It is going to root each other on. It's going to want the best for everyone so that they all can grow up into what God has called them to do. Should there be competition in church? No, but there should be iron sharpening iron. We all ought to be, the Bible says this, we all ought to be spurring each other on into greater glory. Like God does not want us to plateau out, but he also doesn't want us to secretly wish that the other person would blow it, right? Does that make sense? Do you ever like deep down inside wish that the pretty girl would trip on stage? (laughs) I know. That's bad, huh? Okay, rock climbers are the most competitive people on the planet. Like, they want to win. They're in shape, they're mentally strong, and they're physically strong, and, and they're in it to win it. But do you know how they compete? They don't necessarily compete against each other. They compete against the rock. And when rock climbers, and you can see this in their eyes when somebody's ascending uh, a big face, when somebody's ascending a big face um, and it hasn't been done before, the competition is on the ground and you can see it in their eyes. These are the guys that are going to outdo their record, yet they are cheering that person on. You can see it. You can see it that you've got to get that handhold. You've got to do it. You can beat it. And you, can, you, know, you know that deep down inside they're not thinking, oh, I hope he slips and falls so I can keep my record. They, these guys don't think that way. The obstacle is the mountain and not each other. 
They are there to sharpen each other. It's a beautiful thing. And that's what God's called us, the body of Christ, to do. You sharpen each other. You're not competing against each other. You're not nitpicking each other. You're not here to tear each other down. You're here to build each other up. There's a, in World War II, my dad just told me this story. In World War II, there were two uh, fighter pilots, a German and an American. And they, uh, they were competing because they were both aces. They were both competing to see who could shoot down more planes. I, I know, it's kind of a weird thing. But they were competing at this high level. And both of them had record, what do you call them, kills? I don't know. <laughs> Whenever you shoot down a plane, what's that? Hits, they had record hits. Both of them had record hits. And one day, the American got the upper hand, and he, shot, he got the German. He shot down the German. The German ejects, and as he's on his way out, uh, the American flies by, and the German stands to attention in his parachute and goes like this. Honor. Can you honor your competition like that when they outdo you? All right. Uh, number D, letter D, uh, don't gripe. Um, I don't have a whole lot of scripture. Well, I, the entire Old Testament is all about this, right? <laughs> don't gripe. Uh, what, somebody gave me, Larry McGarrity gave me a scripture. Philippians 2, 14. Uh, do everything without complaining. It's a command. Do everything without complaining. We, we gripe. We, and again, like... The whole Old Testament is, is about the Jewish people griping about everything. It's like their national pastime is to complain about stuff. And God's like, oh, you should just be quiet. You should be griping about things. They give you everything and you keep on complaining about it. A community of wisdom does not gripe. A community of wisdom is extremely thankful. All right, again, I could... Read the book. It's all about it. Okay, number three. You've got to be aware of mass appeal. We all know about this. So don't give in to peer pressure, A. Don't give in to peer pressure or popularity. Like the world's got a way. It wants you to look a certain way, buy a certain product, have a certain amount of cars in your driveway. Don't give in to that kind of stuff. Don't bring it into a community. B, uh, don't chase the world or the devil, okay? So love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth. 1 Corinthians 13.6. All right, here's the point I really want to talk about. Number C, letter C. It says, don't let religion creep in. Don't let religion creep into a community of wisdom. All right, that, okay, if you've, been, if you've been around the church, our mission is relationship and not religion. And so uh, our, 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 we're bent on making sure that we don't fall into the traps of religion, of, of becoming a, a, a systematic thing where, okay, I'm doing enough good and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make God happy. I'm trying to get God's stuff instead of getting God. Right? That's what we're out to do. But uh, we have to be aware that we don't have like a, like a self-righteous attitude where, okay, okay, Granite Creek is right and the church across the street is wrong. Uh, Calvinists are predestined to go to hell. All of them. And Armenians are the only ones that can tru choose truth. This is theology humor. I'm sorry. Um, but see, we, we will... We'll begin to, to, okay, once we begin to develop a doctrine that we, that we have it set in stone and, and it divides, divides people, begin to build in systems, it's not good. Uh, look, again, the whole, the whole Old Testament, it's all, it's all law, it's all Torah, it's all, this is how you ought to live. And it's, all, it's good stuff, it really is. But it's, it's, it's literally impossible to follow the law to the T. It, it's too heavy it's too much. No one could do it with the exception of Jesus. No one could follow all the rules. Love is the key ingredient. Truth, like the law. So, okay, okay you ought to live this way. Okay, you ought to straighten up and live this way. You know, quit sleeping around. Quit drinking too much. You know, don't cheat on your taxes. Okay, truth or law without love is religion. Does that make sense? 
So a system of rules, and if it doesn't have love involved in it, it it's religion. All right, this is what Brutus says. I love it. When love begins to sicken and decay, it uses an enforced ceremony. All right? So it applies to church. Okay, when love begins to get sick and decays, we begin to use ceremony to make sure that we're preserving the cult. Right? When love breaks down, when communication breaks down, we'll, we'll, we'll use religion so we can keep things going. An enforced ceremony. So that makes sense in church life, right? Guess what? It applies to your marriage. When, mar- when, when, when love begins to sicken and decay in your marriage, you, you go into marital contract mode. I have a marriage agreement. I have a marriage license. And, you know, he does the dishes. I cook the dinner. He does the laundry. I mow the yard. That's backwards. Right? I don't know. And it works for us. So when love sickens and decays in a personal relationship, it goes into, okay, you do this and I'll do that. I mean, yeah, of course there's rules and I mean, there's, there's things that we ought to do. Somebody's got to do the dishes, right? But when there's no love in it, it becomes a routine. It becomes rote. You begin to lose that passion and the connection to your spouse. You know, the same is true with your kids and how you relate to your kids. It's really easy to have love decay with your rotten kids, right? To give them affection. When love begins to sicken and decay, it uses an enforced ceremony. But there is no tricks in plain and simple faith, right? Plain and simple faith, there are no tricks. But hollow men like horses hot at hand make gallant show and promise of their metal. So hollow men. So when love is sick and it goes away, like there, you, get the, you get the hollow man who's going to put on the show. Just make sure that everything is going smoothly. So are you hollow? All right. All right, real quick. Last seven little points there. Your part. You all have a part in creating a healthy community of wisdom. So your part in creating a healthy community of wisdom is number one, you have to verbally reject bad juju. Bad omens. Bad things that are spoken over you. Manipulations. You verbally reject them. Like somebody verbalized it, well you verbalize it back. I don't receive that negative word from you. That's tough. 1 Thessalonians 5.20 Don't Uh, Don't suppress the spirit and don't stifle those who have a word from the master. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Check everything out and keep only what is good. And you throw throw out anything that is tainted or evil. So you spit out the words. So somebody's doing a, you're having a God talk with somebody, you receive what is good and you spit out what is bad and you move on. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You receive what's good. You can do that. The Bible says so. Number two, you get to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Uh, great story in, in uh, Second Sam- Samuel. Um, King David, they, he, King David goes out on this incredible, I don't think he was king at this time. You know, he wasn't. So he goes out on this uh, incredible raid, has an incredible victory. Uh, him and his mighty men of valor, they, they take huge land, uh, 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 huge territory. They come home, and all of David's mighty men, all his family has been, has been sacked and, and sold into slavery and murdered. David was in a very difficult situation. His men were not happy with him. In fact, they're going to kill him. This is the difference between him and Caesar. Because Caesar was in a difficult place too. David did not, he did not receive a negative omen saying, you know, beware your mighty men of valor. They're going to murder you. No, you know what David did that Caesar did not do? He rejected anything negative that was coming into him and he, 
He strengthened himself in the Lord. Your heart is your responsibility. So in order to to develop a community of wisdom, your part is to strengthen yourself in the Lord. This is an incredible secret. This was the secret to David's success in this. It was the the tipping point from him being murdered by his own men to actually them turning the tide and and, and mustering up this energy to, to get vengeance on their enemies. It's an amazing story. All right, so we have to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Uh, number three, to speak life, right? So, so gossip is speaking death. Uh, speaking, you know, tearing somebody down, making fun of somebody, wishing them ill, uh, backhanded compliments and, and, and discussions in back rooms and intrigue, those are, those are death words. So speak life. Who, who can you encourage this week? Who can you encourage without there being any strings attached? Without you having an agenda? Who can you minister to this week? Who can you, can you speak life into somebody else's situation? Can you speak life into your own heart? What can you say about yourself that does not include, I'm sick, I'm tired, I'm depressed? What can you say about yourself? I am a mighty man. I'm a mighty woman of God. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death. Sticks and stones, they will break your bones. There's power in our words. All right, number four. You need to center your soul on thankfulness. Big part of this journey, big part of the spiritual journey that most people don't get. Like when you walk through a door, like when you're going into new, like a, like a new level or a new season spiritually, it's like God is opening up a new pathway for you. Hmm? You know how you are to enter into the door? With thankfulness. So the first step is to be thankful. Why is that so important? Because it, 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 it is the antidote to what the world and what the devil want to offer. The world and the devil, they're going to offer you materialism. They're going to offer you, you know, you need to be popular. They're going to offer you, you need to have this stuff. You need to have the latest. That's what the world and the devil will offer you. But when you, when you decide to get in, in God's path, when you walk through the door, the antidote to materialism, the antidote to wanting things that you don't have or desiring things that your friends have is to walk through this door in thankfulness. Be thankful for what you have. And when you're in God's presence, you praise. Number six, speak the truth in love. So, um, Wise communities will speak the truth in what? In love. And again, you have to figure out what's the motivation of your heart. If you have controller tendencies, if you have victim tendencies, can you, can you really speak the truth in love? You can, but you have to make sure you, that you're checking your motives. Am I speaking the truth? Big quotes here, big fake quotes. Am I really speak? Because people will do this. I just want to speak the truth in love. You're an idiot. Hmm? I'm going to speak the truth in love. You're messing everything up. So you have to, again, you have to, you have to weigh everything that people say. But see, a healthy community will say, all right, I love you enough to tell you the truth about what you, what's going on. That's, those are painful conversations at times, but that's what a healthy community does. Uh, Ephesians 4, 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, okay, here we go, we will grow to become in every respect the, bo- the mature body of him who is at the head, that is Christ. So in, in order for us to be a mature body, a mature community, we have to be able to speak truth in love so it doesn't turn into religion. Okay, number, number seven. Okay, remember I said uh, that you, um, 
You, know, you need to avoid uh, uh, soap opera dramas and stuff like that. You need to avoid uh, uh, people that thrive on conflict, and you shouldn't be thriving on conflict either. What's the antidote to that? You thrive on unity. That is your part in developing a healthy community. Here, home, work, you thrive on unity. Unity at all costs. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. There's the community aspect, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. Community shapes our identity, so unity is extremely important. And then last scripture, Psalms 133. How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity. It is good. It is pleasant to God when God's people live together in what? Unity. My new friends that I met out in the street, they love God. God loves them. I'm not denying that they don't have some type of connection, but they're not in unity. Their lives would be so much more powerful if they could figure out how to do this. If they could get past their hurts and their baggage, and if they could, just, if they could push into a community. Because it brings God pleasure when he senses unity. Let's listen to this. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard running down on Aaron's beard. You know who Aaron is? He's the priest. So unity is, is an anointing. What's an, what in the world is an anointing? Anointing is God's power in your life. You need God's power in your life. It's like, it's grace to get things done. It's intervening grace. That happens when there's unity in the body and you get this anointing that's poured over your head and it runs down your whole being. It makes you holy. It, it, it strengthens your connection to God. Running down the beard of Aaron, down on the collar of his robe. And it's like this. It's like the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Two mountains, different parts of the country. Both, both spiritual mountains of some sort. Uh, Mount Zion is more kind of mythical. I mean, supposedly there is a huge debate about what's really going on. But Mount Zion, just think of it as Mount Olympus, right? It kind of has a mythical element to it. And Mount Hermon is a, is a real place, the highest place in Israel. And the dew that falls on Mount Hermon, <laughs> dew, little droplets, it feeds the Jordan River. So the unity that, that falls on Mount Hermon has this spiritual connection there's something, there's something divine about unity that God seeks. For the Lord bestows his blessings, even life evermore. All right, so basic, we're going to wrap it up. If I could have the band of the ushers come to the front as they're on their way up. This is what I'm going to close with. Your community, who you choose to hang out with, is going to determine your identity. Who are you? Can you do you really know who you are? Are you an American? Are you, I don't know, I don't know, pick your ethnicity, are you that? Good thing, I mean, man, I'd be difficult for me to pick my ethnicity. <laughs> are you a man, are you a woman? I am woman, hear me roar. I'm sorry. What's, who, do you, who you are, who are you? Your community shapes who you are, just like Caesar's identity was shaped by Rome. Your community is who you are. So I'm gonna encourage you. Okay, how, what choices can I make this week to strengthen my community of wisdom? Here at church, at home, at work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day, and we, just, we give it to you. Father, we give you this day as, as, as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. God, maybe everything about 
this moment and when we leave and when we, when we have lunch with our friends and our family and when we engage our neighbors, God, I pray that we will just move into Sabbath mode where we can, where we can sense your spirit and your leading in your direction. Father, right now I would just pray for those that, uh, that have broken hearts, that have been disappointed, that have been let down, that have been betrayed, stabbed in the back. I pray that you heal them right now. I pray that you would just continue to do your healing work on the physical heart too, Lord. And I pray that the enemy of God won't rip off anybody's healing today where those uh, negative words say, oh, that's just fantasy. That's, that's not gonna happen. You're never gonna be healed. And we just, we verbally cast those down in the name of Jesus. Father, teach us the secret of strengthening ourselves in the Lord this week. Whenever, whenever we're at a tipping point where we could go one way or the other, God, may we choose to strengthen ourselves in the Lord where we can receive that victory that David had. Bless this offering, God. May it, may it continue to increase the significance of this church, the influence of this church beyond its four walls. Bless us, Lord. In your name, amen.